He's a seven million dollar bull rider. In this game, you gotta have that dog. Episode four, we're back. The third wheel's fallen off again, so we're joined here today with Caden, myself, and a pretty exciting guest. Um, I'm actually um, pretty, yeah, pretty keen to, to yarn to Johnny here. How you been, mate? Good, mate. How's yourself, Taryn? Good, good. On days off now, so um, three weeks off, coming into Christmas, so getting ready for the Christmas festive season, I suppose. Um, I reckon we jump, just jump straight into it because um, it, it's pretty um, incredible what, what you do. Um, how about you give everyone a bit of a quick rundown on you know, what, what you do? Basically, anything out there in the wild, I've spent my time nutting it out, working out how things work, why things happen, to help people have better experiences out in the field. You teach people what drives animals, what triggers animals, so they can then start to predict their movements ahead of time so you can plan what's going to happen tomorrow, for example, by understanding the triggers so you're the man on the spot to the minute when things happen. That's unreal. How, how do you get into that? You know, it all starts with just being interested, having that curiosity. We're born curious, just watching how things work and just asking that question, why? You see something happen and just being curious enough to, to want to know more and continuing to do that for decades. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard a lot of um, stories and... Um like of, of what you do in that, um, like I've, he- I've heard that you can, you can pick a spot when you're fishing, right, and you can say, or if you're with someone, you can say cast there, like within two casts, you can, you can basically snag onto, onto, onto something or what you're fishing for. How do, how, does, how, do you, how do you get to that point? Like obviously you've been doing this a long time. Yeah, there's a lot of factors that affect animals. They can be positive or negative. And if you've got a whole list of negative things that are happening at any given time, you're not going to get a bite. So if you understand some of the positive pieces that come together, you can apply a formula, look at the water, look at the environment, look at the conditions, and the answer's right there in front of you. No, these fish won't bite, and it just won't happen. And that, that reflects back to kind of everything, um, not just fish, that's, that's hunting. You do, because um, you obviously run schools and, and or, or so forth. Um, what, what's that you actually you, you do there? I've got a program called the Leopard Trail, and it's a, a five-level development program it's progressive learning you just teach people the basic fundamentals and build on that like a building block so you teach them the basics and just continually build until they have an accumulation of knowledge that allows you to have pinpoint accuracy that literally blows your head off yeah that's that's unreal like i'm pretty fascinated in it um i'm not much of a fisherman at all, so I'm probably going to have to get some tips off you. Like I said in, I think, one of the previous episodes. I think it was the last episode, yep. I've never caught a fish on a lure. I can sit, sit there and flick all day and wind, but obviously I don't know what I'm looking for. <laughs> Flicking and winding, that's you, Tan. We don't know what we're doing. No, kid, I don't even know how, barely even know how to put a lure on. But um, when it, when it, when you run it back, how old were you when you started figuring all this out? Did you go to, did you go, to, like, did you research it? Did you figure it all out yourself? Did you, go, did you have knowledge passed down to you? Yeah, you never figure everything you never figure everything out yourself. Like when you're a kid, you're hanging around your parents or other fishermen and they're doing things and you're just spending time with, with different people and, yeah, you, you pick up those pieces. They're handed down and, surprisingly, we've got to this point now where we start to question a lot of that information that was handed down to the point where a lot of it was actually incorrect or, or off track. But, yeah, you, you learn. It's handed down. Having the curiosity to just keep asking... And then you just go off on your own journey. I spent a lot of time on North Curtis Island. I lived up there about 20 years ago. Commercially mud crab, lived in the shack, lived in the swag. You had mud crabs in the creek and feral cattle and feral pigs inland. So you just had 24 hours round the clock, living wild, watching stuff. And because you're on your own, you're, you're not getting distracted by, by noise and stereos and alcohol and that kind of stuff. And you start to see things happening in the bush or you hear animals come to life in the middle of the night and think, well, why now at 2 a.m.? The birds started calling, the dog starts howling, and then five minutes later, it's all quiet. Why is that, actually? Like, I saw, I saw a video you put up the other day of um, the birds in the trees at a certain time and pinpoint why, why is that that, that, that that happens? There's a lot of different what we call triggers, triggers and activators that activate animals to move, feed, call, 
And some of these triggers can be as short as one second. Some can be 10 seconds, one minute, 10 minutes, 24 hours. They can be longer periods of activity. There's literally dozens and dozens of different types of triggers. And if you understand the triggers, you then understand the short windows during a 24-hour time period where you're more likely to have an interaction with, say, a fish or a, or a pig or something along those lines. You just know when it's going to move or you know when it's going to feed and you can be that bloke on the spot in that little window. Yeah, righto. So um, what, just say you're fishing for barra, like what do you look for when you're going to fish for a, a barra? Like, because obviously you catch them, like some say, you know, barra season, that's the only time to catch them, that's the only time you'll catch them, but... I've seen photos and people have told me that you can catch them any given day or time, really. Yeah, 365 days of the year you can catch the things day or night. Uh, what do you look for? First, that barren needs somewhere to hide. It needs to feel comfortable. So a little bit of darker water or shadow or something along those lines. A little bit of water flow helps. And then back to these activators and triggers, if you get an activator happening at that same time, We've got good water flow and good clarity where that fish can hide. You're in the game. Yeah, right. Eh? And that, so obviously, in that that revolves around all animals. What are, what do you look for? Just say, for what other animals do you pass information on, or you teach people? Is it all animals, or do you have a set group of certain animals? Obviously, there's pigs, deer, um, what like anything. Like what else is there? Yeah, what we teach applies worldwide, mm-hmm. and we do teach say commercial shooters commercial dog trappers commercial fishermen recreational fishermen so yeah every animal wild dogs pigs fish crabs people it applies to literally everything Um, the psychology of animal their behavior human behavior it's all tied together so you learn so much about animals just by watching people you learn so much about people by watching animals so at what age did you get into this uh, line of work that you are doing it's probably only all started to come together in the last 10 or 15 years, especially the last 10, and certainly the last five, it skyrocketed. Because I spent a lot of time with different animals, you're picking up pieces from different fisheries and different land animals that actually click together to form the bigger puzzle. So the more time I spent with different critters, and you're learning things, like you might learn something, like you see a scrub bull come down from the hill, you think, all right, why is he coming down now? And if you can find the answer to that, you then look back to your, your barra fishery and think, well, how can I click this into that barra fishery to try and get a result in that same window that the ball's moving? And then you might learn something from the barra fishery that you can apply to the mud crab fishery. And you learn something by watching when and where mud crabs move or some behaviour or something interesting they might do. And you can take that back to the hunting world and it just continues to revolve and grow and all of a sudden, holy F, we're starting to see some massive patterns all connected to these activators, triggers and drivers. And it's really starting to get really exciting. I saw a uh, video you put up there the other day of um, you saying basically all all animals are obviously out there trying to survive. That's what they're, that's what clearly what uh, they're doing, no matter what it is. Is there any animals, or in your opinion, what's is there any animals that are really unpredictable or that are the hardest to try and track or or um, figure out? W- women, women. <laughs> that, I agree with that a hundred percent. You can never figure them out. <laughs> But um, because you think I'd think fucking dingoes would probably be the smartest and and hardest ones to get, whether it's here and scent, so forth, compared to everything else. Yeah, some of those old older dogs can be pretty crafty, and same with those really big old boars. Yeah, the boars are they they'll just drop their scent or piss everywhere and then just double back on themselves and take off. And we've we've monitored some boars over the years, where over a twenty four hour window, they can be using a five, six, eight or ten minute window out of a 24-hour day in which to come down and feed, do their thing and then move on. So to pinpoint when that animal's going to move to get someone to catch that animal that they might have been monitoring and trying to catch for, for a year or two or even longer, it gets really exciting to see them move in these little tiny windows. So some of them boars are super crafty. Like one example, a boar would come to the edge of a farm and he would not come onto that farm unless the wind in the morning swung to the south. So if it was a land breeze blowing southwest, that boar would stop at, say, camera number one, wouldn't go past that point, look at all the observations, all the data, and until that wind swung from the southwest to the south, he wouldn't move. So when it went south, he'd go straight onto the farm and feed. And directly to the south of where he's feeding is the homestead. 
So that animal waited till the wind was in his favour to pick up the scent to know if anything was coming from that direction, but would not go on unless the wind was blowing from south. Yeah, that's unreal, eh? Like the, the factors that a lot of people don't realise that are in there. And obviously you've spent, I'm assuming, a lot of time with trail cams and watching these animals and sitting back playing them through to understand what they're doing to figure that out to get to that point. And I suppose it's a... Have you done, have you done much with deer? Not a great deal with deer. I, I have monitored them for about 12 months. I had a camera on a, a mob of deer there for a while, but yep. no, I've never hunted one. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, spent a little bit of time with them. Yeah. And the, and the program that you teach, is it... How many... Like, do you, obviously, there's a lot of information to pass on to people. And um, where where do you hold, hold these at? And what do you um, what do you really teach? Is it something... I heard something. Is it seven stages or something? Five stages. Five stages. What, what are the stages there that you, that you teach people? Well, the, the, the start, we teach people about the weather, teach people how to read the weather. People have weather on their telephones, they have these apps, but that's not weather. That's information on their phone. So you run people through the basics of how weather works, but at the same time, you're teaching them how to observe, how to lift their head and, and take notice of what's happening around their, their everyday life. So they learn about the weather, which teaches them to observe. And then... We teach how the weather affects land in level two, how weather affects water. So it's like a follow-on effect. Once you understand the weather, you can then see how that follows on and starts to affect the environment in which the fish or the animal lives. So the weather directly affects animals. So the weather can directly affect a feral pig's behaviour. But then the follow-on effect of how the weather is affecting the land can also affect the pig's behaviour. So there's direct and indirect influence on the animal from the weather. And then level three, we start to teach animal psychology, how the animal is processing this information. They do it instinctually because ultimately they're trying to survive. All they want to do is make it through another day. So they're going to pick the best time or the safest time to go and move, to feed, to do their thing because they want to wake up the next day. But a a young animal or a silly animal, he's the one you shoot. He's the one that dies or... He's the one that you actually come across. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Thanks for coming. (laughs) The dumb one. But the ones that get away, they become more intelligent and then they start to process more information and then they're picking the key little windows where everything's in their favour where they can get down to a crop do their thing or the dog can come down from the hills run around sniff around do its thing piss on the post eat a dead kangaroo and bugger off back up the hill before farmer bill gets out of bed and then level four we take that further we look at feral animal behaviour and an order an order of priority how animals around the clock 24 hours a day are changing the order of these influences, the order, a priority, they have a priority. So if, you're, if an animal is out there today doing its thing, nice weather day, but they wake up tomorrow and it's blowing 30 knots from the southeast, that strong wind will influence the environment and influence the animal's movements. It might be too windy, the animal mightn't feel comfortable to go out into the paddock, so it changes its pattern. But then a few days later, calm weather, might be hot weather, so that heat might go to the top of the list. So the order of priority for the animal is changing every day. Therefore, the way we sculpt or apply a formula changes every day. Because you might see someone might have a trail cam where they have a picture of a boar comes through. You might see him for two nights. He's not there the third night. He's not there the fourth night. Not there the fifth night. And then 2 a.m. the next day he appears. Next morning, 4 a.m. Next morning, doesn't appear, doesn't appear for a week and then appears back on the camera. So guys will say there's no pattern to that animal. But there is because the order of priority is changing. So the animal adjusts its time when it moves because of the negative impact of environmental changes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's unreal. That's a bit to take in. It, isn't yeah. it? Like, it'd be a lot to learn. Like It's bloody incredible, eh? How, um, how like, from learning this stuff? Because, like, when I, go, when I go out hunting... I basically just go out and hit and hope <laughs> as yeah, much as you can say. Too. I see like a nice, soft, steady breeze. I think, you know what, I'm going to take the dogs out for a run. We might snag a pig. But in saying that, there has been a block that I have hunted previously. And like every time we'd go there around midnight sort of thing, it would um, the dogs would jump and they'd go and they'd go and they'd go and then they'd come back. And it's like, well, something's been and gone go back the next night, different time of the night, same area, dogs go and go and go and come back. And we haven't caught anything from it, but... I'd say that'd just have to be a smart 
big, obviously, like Johnny, your teach is that in the environment, whether it's wind or that, that, that sound that they can hear or there'd be obviously factors involved in that that, that are just making that happen, I suppose. Yeah, either that or I'm just unlucky, <laughs> one of the two. <laughs> just hopeless. That's a really cool conversation. Everything you've just said there, Caden, and same thing there, Taryn. What we teach in level five, very difficult to explain here across the table. There are times, could be a five-minute window in that 24-hour day, that you could rock up to that location and the dogs would catch that pig. And if you go there outside of those time windows, that exact thing happens. They pick up the scent, they might go 500 metres or a K, come back empty-handed. Go back the next night, same thing happens. But you go in one of these what we call trigger windows or activation windows and they'll turn that jump into a catch. Yeah, that's right, I suppose, yeah. But, like, um, in saying that, like, we've driven around the crop, same spot, earlier in the night, not a jump, come back, and it's happened within, like, half an hour. And you're thinking, my God, what what did I do wrong? <laughs> they, um, well, I see you get a lot of good feedback, too, from, um, from students, as such as you'd call them. Um, how much does their hunting or view on things change and, you know, their hit rate becomes more... Yeah, like getting that feedback back, feedback back and, um, and teaching them that. What's that, what's that like? Uh, like watching them get so much from things that you're teaching. That makes me buzz. Yeah. Because I've learnt this stuff and I know how powerful it is. I, would, I love other people to experience it. So when you get that open-minded person comes in the room, listens, learns, applies goes out and experiences these things the smile that they have on their face is just a mirror of what i of what i see do you take do you take them out at all or do you ever get students that um that you do take out and 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 show that in a practical manner or is it more just study and then let them figure it out themselves yeah they go and apply themselves but you make friendships along the way so you get to hunt and fish with with different clients and there's some incredible hunters in australia that have come and done the program and their results skyrocket. You, you can have great hunters and you just refine them to that next level, to the super level, the micro level of picking these little tiny windows to go and hunt. Like some guys, for example, they say, hey, righto, Johnny, there's a list here of activators and triggers and some order of priority that we shuffled through the course of the night. I'm going to catch a pig at 4.14 in the morning. It's going to take me 10 minutes to drive to this spot, getting out of bed at, say, 10 to 4 or whatever, rock up, sneak down past where they want to hunt, dog jumps within that two two minute window they catch that boar take a photo send it to you phone goes ping and you live in the moment with that client yeah that's unreal so doing all that and obviously you do a lot of it yourself but every day basically what's some what's some crazy encounters that you've come across or have you had have you ever had any like close calls like with any pigs or something I've, I've seen a few people get fucking bitten on the old fucking finger or yeah, you know whatnot I've, I've seen i've seen a few yeah i've seen a few balls knock a few people clean off their feet have you ever encountered many of them no i've been fairly lucky in that regard um fairly boring or thinking <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to cool stuff happening like that uh, i did remember one night 20 years ago i was hunting with a dog on curtis island and come across a big boar and it, it carved him up and he knocked himself out he he, he ran out of blood and he was dead on the ground yeah two minutes later he's standing up saying right boss let's go so, oh, no. so I was very lucky but I didn't let that dog hunt and put him on a lead and we walked about a k we walked about a k or two had to go 10 k's I think back to home and I just let him off the lead because we were fairly comfortable where we were walking we bumped into a big boar only 10 meters in front of us and he smacked this boar probably 120 kilo and <laughs> the boar sidestepped dog grabbed a hold of him Boar hammered him, and I've just jumped straight on this boar. It's like, well, Bullshit. the dog's got no chest plate on now. So I put all my weight on this boar, got him to the ground. He just stood straight back up with all yeah. my weight on him. Pushed him down to the ground again, stood back up with all my weight on him. I was probably only weighed 25 kilos back then. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, something like that was pretty cool because you just had to look after your dog there and put your body on the line. I think that's a bit of a natural instinct too is to get in and help. Obviously, like a dog's a man's best friend, just to get in and, and help him so he doesn't get carved up again, eh? Like, it's, I think that's uh, any anyone, anyone, any man would do that, eh? Just, oh, my dog's getting beaten up. Like, I've got to do something here to help him. Brotherhood. Brotherhood, bloody oath. What about, um, I've I also heard, like, I, I've heard a lot of people um, have good feedback from you. I heard um, a few years ago now, um, you're real handy with um, 
with boats and obviously because you live in one nearly um, and sounders and that. Um, do you do a bit of like helping people set up their boats or their is it sounders or, or, or whatnot? Or? There is an online sonar course that we have on the website there. Yep. Um, it's part of the package as part of this leopard trail program that we just help people out and the more they can understand like technolo- technology is part of the process, like whether we love it or hate it these days, technology is creeping in. There's some really flash sonars. They've advanced a long way. Yeah. And we do provide an online sonar course to help people out because as much as critical as it is to learn about the animals, technology is still a part of it. So you can bring technology in as a combination to the knowledge and it just makes hunters and fishermen almost unstoppable. Yeah, that's unreal. What um Do you, do you keep track of your PBs? Your, like biggest fish in that you've caught do you have it written down or framed or something or what's the story there do you always trying to are you always trying to beat that or you just go out and just try and nail what you can back in the days when you're a young fella you're always trying to beat your pb and we probably did that for 10 or 20 years and got to a point now where you just shift your focus like bulls i love bulls like i'd, I'd prefer to spend time with a bull now than out in the field trying to catch a big fish but for years you're always trying to catch bigger and better spanish mackerel that's one fish that every winter i'd I still give it a go to try and catch a bigger one. Like 44 kilos, 44 point something is the best Spanish we've caught. Holy shit, that is a big fish. Yeah, and you just have this vision of like a 50 or 60 kilo fish floating around the ocean there somewhere and you just want to mess with that one. We'll we'll tow baits like 6, 7, 8, 9, even up to 10 kilos because you just want one bite. That's unreal. Yep, so you're happy to forego catching 10 or 15 or 20 fish a day by using bigger baits which just starts to filter through the rest of the school, gives the opportunity for that one big fish to come along. What's the chances of that to come along? Like, do you, Can you spend all day out there just trying and not get nothing or do you always get like something from it or not what you're chasing? Or Something usually happens, but you still can go all day and not get a bite. But see, the cool thing about Spanish, you control a bait six or eight kilos and a 10 or 15 kilo fish will still bite it in half. Yeah, right. That's unreal. I would never have picked that, eh? Nah, never. I was thinking bigger the hook, bigger the bait, well, the bigger the fish. <laughs> That's what I thought too. But yeah. in saying that, I have thrown a decent-sized lure out. Actually, it was in Callahan Dam. It was a decent-sized vibe I threw out. And I caught this little perch, or I think it was a perch, anyway. And it was smaller than the lure. I'm thinking, fuck, big, you must be hungry, eh? Like, there's no way I would have thought a fish that size would pull that on. Yeah, what's it... Um, Coming back, like, talking about lures and that, how critical is it to use, like, when you go into a fishing shop, there's hundreds of lures. How critical is it? Thousands of them. Or thousands, yeah, you can say that, (laughs) yeah, literally. But how, like, is it hard to pick the right lure or do you got to know kind of more information? Just for the people that don't know, like myself. Yeah, if you don't know, you walk into a tackle store and it's daunting. I just look for the best-looking lure there. (laughs) I'm like, fuck, this one looks all right. I'll give it a crack. It doesn't look too big. I'm not going to catch a big fish, but... Still can't catch nothing. In saying that, like, you're obviously a lot better fisherman than what we are. I fucking um, suck. Yeah, <laughs> we know you suck. Yeah. I can't I, remember the last right time I caught a fish. But, um, like, hard bodies, do you go for them more than soft plastics? Because I've heard a few fellas say, like, they study the fish and what they're eating and they get, like, a plain-coloured soft plastic and they've got pens there, they colour in and dot it so it looks like the bait fish that they're chasing. Do you do much of that or...? There's a saying, match the hatch, that works. Like presentations that look like the food item. Prawns is a perfect example. There's plenty of soft plastic prawns on the market that just look like a prawn. And lots of fish love prawns. So that's a really good starting point, something that looks realistic. And then you've got different types of hard bodies, just a hard plastic or a timber lure, and it puts out a different type of vibration. It might be the vibration on its own that draws the fish to come and have a look. But a word we should drag into the conversation here is is the word rattle. You have a lure with a rattle in it. A rattle is a type of stimulus that the fish pick up on and potentially could come over and investigate. So a day when you're not catching much and the fish don't seem to be biting, a lure with a rattle can be the difference between catching nothing or catching fish. Yeah, I see some of them lures that got, like, fucking little bells and shit on. I think, fuck, we're not trying to catch cat here, mate. Fucking, you know, you get, like, a little fucking mouse with a bell on it. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> little yeah. chatterbaits and that just going through the water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that can be the difference between nothing and a super successful day, that micro detail. Yeah, that's yeah, unreal. Right. i gotta, I got to go fucking flick a line a bit more often. and I still need I need to catch a fish on a lure. i got to do it. It's, I'm fucking nearly fucking 30. I still haven't caught a fish on a lure. That's fucking embarrassing. That is terrible. That See, is terrible. Here's one for you. You could be chasing Barra 
conditions mightn't be spot on, but you've cast in your favourite soft plastic, your paddle tail, not getting any bites. Cast your favourite timber hard body, not getting any bites. And all you do is change to a lure with a rattle and you can catch two barra in two casts. Yeah, that's unreal. Yeah, the difference being the addition of the rattle can be enough to turn a semi-interested fish into one that's willing to strike. See, a fish doesn't have to be hungry to strike your lure. Yeah. All you're trying to do is trick the fish to move its muscles to open its mouth to bite the lure. So rattle is like a stimulus. Yeah. I remember we went out um, fishing there just here at the back of the River and um, I was with Scotty. Shout out to Scotty Stringer. And um, he was running like a little one uh, lure. Uh, it was like a frog with two legs that come over and when it goes it kind of um, paddles, its feet paddle on that. And he was getting Barrett hit but he couldn't hook up. But I was just like the hype man. I was just sitting there watching these fish just come out like these barra and just nipping arms. Like, oh, go, Scotty, get him! Then he got older one and fucking went in. Then he lost it, and I was like, "Fuck!" Well, I have more. I have more. I get the thing. I get more excited watching everyone else fish than me fish because I just I just get frustrated way too quick. Don't have the patience. I'm like, "Fuck this! I'm done." <laughs> yeah, you got to be having fun. If you're not having fun, what's the point? Yeah, most of the time I just go for the beers and then just to flick because and and I just hope that luckily I snag one just so I got bragging rights over everyone. <laughs> but um, you mentioned before. Um, you enjoy hanging around um, bulls, um, and you got into bullfighting. Um, how'd that come about? Where did you Where did you find that love for fighting bulls from going it, from fishing and um, hunting to getting into that aspect? Really cool story tied up in here. When I was a young fella, five, six, eight, ten year old, used to go and see the occasional bull and just loved the size of these big giant critters. Yet, born in the city, lived in the city, went fishing on the weekends with my dad. Fast forward here 10, 15, 20, 25 years, the fishing chapter, done. But I've been in the bush, I've filmed the feral pigs, I've stalked wild cattle, taken photos, filmed them. And then I got married, I was married, and then separated. So here I am staring in the mirror, asking myself, holy, who are you? Where are you going? What do you want to do with your life? And about five seconds later, the word bulls just rose from inside. There it was. It's like, yep. You've been in love with bulls ever since you were a young fella, but you smothered it with fishing. So I'm not a fisherman. I'm not a fisherman at all. I'm a I'm problem solver. I love solving problems, and I applied my problem-solving skills through fishing. But then who I really am and what I really wanted to do, there it was. There was the opportunity for it to rise to the top. It's like, bulls, here we are. Let's go. And that's unreal. Where were you? Were you around this region when that started, and how do you find a place to go pursue that like, where did all that come from? Like, to obviously, you, you had that feeling in that moment and then you obviously look in the mirror, you would have said, like, I've got to go. Where would you go from there? Yeah, I looked in the mirror again and went, holy shit, you're 44. You're not 24, but you're not 84. You've got a couple of years, give it a go. Then a training school popped up. It's like, righto, I'm going to go to this training school, sit on the fence, watch, listen, learn. Next minute, I'm in the bloody Royal Flying Doctor's aeroplane getting flown to a hospital ended up with a punctured lung what happened there i uh, hopped in an arena with a bull i shouldn't have yeah and he came the fuck out of me oh no yep so i ended up in hospital for two weeks back at home on the lounge chair for six months sank into a world of depression and that's where my life started so i was about age 44 in a bit of a mental mess but with this strong fire and passion for for bulls and a lot of people said hey well you probably learnt your lesson there. You shouldn't get near them. So no, it's just got stronger. I want this because that's who I am. And how was that? How was that getting back into the arena after that? Very interesting. Uh, the word fear that's never been in my life rose to the top. I think I think everyone has to have fear to overcome and to be better. Yeah. I think if you don't have that fear in you, or you know, step outside them boundaries, obviously them walls that come up with the word fear in the middle, that you'll never get anywhere if you don't i think fears in everyone but like for you and me we fear bucking off and failing i can't get scared getting on the bastards <laughs> i don't know about you but like i fear falling off and failing yeah that's, no that's my biggest thing i hate it i hate losing and i always want to rise to the top and beat, and beat it that's that's 100 percent right like my biggest fear in life is failing and it's it's not just failing at that it's about it's failing in life you know, failing my friends, my family, the people that are around me, my goals, my dreams and, and pursuing, I think that would hurt me more than any injury that I've had bull riding is not bouncing back from it or bettering myself or overcoming that 
you know, situation that I, that I was in at the time. Um, that really just shows where the mental comes into the whole game. Like, you need to be physically fit to ride a bull or, or fight a bull. At the same time, mental. Mental is like, the biggest game. Yeah, that, that yeah. fear factor, I've never had it. But ever got, since I got a punctured lung and fell into the world of depression, it, was, it wasn't the fear of the bull, it was the fear of the mental and the emotion attached to the experience I had in the past. So here I am standing in an arena holding onto the rail. Want to be a bullfighter? Holding onto the rail. Want to fight bulls? Still holding onto the rail. So it took me two years to work through that fear to eventually realise that it was based on trust, a lack of trust. I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust that everything would be okay. And as time rolled on, realised that, hey, if I just apply trust here and let go and start to step around a few bulls and, and let the whole process roll roll out, it began. Yeah, and that's it's, this is such a good topic too to talk about. Um, I, th- I think, like, especially if there's any um, young people listening that are holding themselves back. Um, like, we've spoke about you, how you have your program, how you teach people. Like, you would have – how many bull riding schools have you been to or how many practice pens do you go to to fight to learn the technique and the skill? Because I think it all, all – ends up back in the same small circle where it starts is, is going out and getting in around them schools and and learning how many yeah how many schools have you have you been to or, or do you try and get around um and learn off as many people as you can or or do you like sit there and you watch and observe people like see what the bull's doing how like a bullfighter reacts to what is going on like just say rider falls off here and there's a small window and the bullfighter's just it's a little gap there and the bullfighter's running through that gap to get the bull's attention. Do you observe that and, like, learn from that? Yeah, I love that observation. That's basically my middle name, Johnny Observation Mitchell. So to sit on a, an arena rail, you watch that bull, you watch the rider, watch where he falls, you watch what the bullfighter does and you're watching how everything is working as one. Like, I've done a lot of watching, comfortable with uh, with what you've learnt from watching. Been to about five different bull, bull schools, bullfighting schools. I went to America about six weeks ago and caught up with Cody Webster, went to one of his bullfighting schools over there. A bit of a funny story. Uh, day one, they let out one of their fighting cows and it flogged me, flogged me up. And then day one had started, so I like, right, I need to go to the toilet. <laughs> right? So there was this gate, a bit of a gateway, and there was a bit of a washout at the bottom of the gateway. So I like, right, I'll just jump across this washout and head off to the toilet, unknowing that there's this crossbar (laughs) so i have jumped and drove my head straight into this crossbar and basically knocked myself out at cody webster's school (laughs) you're kidding and that was the end of me three days no way didn't get back in the arena but at the same time to sit there and watch and listen to a professional i learned a truckload yeah that's right so for anyone that doesn't know cody webster the best bullfighter in the world of going all the time of all world. of all time he is unreal like there's guy. not many fellas that can pick and choose their shows in america it's big over there they've got the prca over there he does the big events there he's in the pbr he fights at the pbr world finals and he's there in vegas this weekend or this week fighting at the nfr and it, unreal yeah he he's a he's a he's a different breed he is so smooth so good to watch um, but yeah, you, like you said, you would have learned, learned a truckload, um, especially from he would have uh, like them teachers over there would, would teach us a lot about the mental side, especially being bullfighting such a big mental side of, of things. What, what was some pretty key things that you took from there that you know, like I, I've been to some um, Burundi schools where I've heard that they've said some things that I'll take to me grave, like just that just really hit me, and I'm like, fuck, I need to hear that. Was there any moments like that for you over there? The key piece that Cody hammered into everyone was you get out what you put in. If you're not willing to do the work, you may as well go home. And physical fitness, he just hammered your physical fitness. You have to be fit to do this. I mean, we all know you've got to be mentally tough and you've got to have the grit. And he talked about examples there where he had like a massive bruise down the inside of his leg and he still had to be back in that arena that afternoon to fight balls. And there was no way he was not going to get back in that arena. So there's no place for a fairy. We understand that. We know that. Uh, another big thing that we learnt there, because they had the freestyle balls, you learn a bit about the freestyle as well, was how to read that animal in the arena and how to keep working that animal in the arena. Yeah, that's right. And I think um, one of the biggest um, things is, 
like when you say like talk about like the bruise on the inside of your side, I, I tell a lot of people um, and young fellows and that that, or even people that I travel with, um, it's not a sport that you can tiptoe around, and there's always going to be pain. But um, mentally, and it's one thing that I was drummed in my mind growing up was, and it, it revolves around anything in life. Re- really, is pain is only in the mind. Like you can you can be banged up in the middle of a dog fight with someone, even if it's at the pub. That pain isn't going to hit you until probably the next day or a few hours later or when, whenever, if you want it to hurt. But if you block that pain out and you you don't let it hurt, it won't hurt as, as bad as what it is. And um, it's something that I think um, – right, look at, um, for instance, Kai Hamilton um, this weekend. I think if anyone's listened to this and hasn't seen videos or heard about what Kai's been doing this weekend, he's got a gnarly wreck. Um, he was taken to hospital – Broken ribs, bruised lung, he was knocked out, come back the next morning, was third in the round, won the next one that afternoon, that round after. And, you know, some of my worst injuries are, um, are rib injuries. So to overcome that, that just goes to show that if if you want it to hurt, it's going to hurt. But you can block that pain out, which is, I think, um, a big factor that people need to learn getting around, around the sport or even anything in life. Like, um, you know... You can you you can re- go back to even hunting that or or anything if you you know you do something if you want to sit there and go and feel sorry for yourself and cry about it it's going to hurt a lot more than gritting your teeth and going nah fuck this it doesn't hurt and walking it off you know yeah definitely like going back to when you're saying you're like hunting you can be running through the sticks and you just absolutely blitz yourself with your shin on a log you'll get up because the like the no that there's a pig at the end of that, you'll get up and you will keep running and going, get to that pig and then you'll be, finish that, everything's over and then it'll just kick in. All the pain will be like, oh, get fucked. My leg is hurting. And it's, it's funny about you said about that, um, hitting your head on the rail too. I've seen it when I was over in Canada. I was taking bulls um, down to Texas and a uh, mate of mine from Canada, he's like, oh, I'll come for a run with you. Anyways, um, We'd always stop in at sale barns and just drop the bulls off there and feed them water on, on the trip. So they went on the trail f- for hours on hours at a time. And we're at this sale, <laughs> this sale barn and um, one of your mates is um, going to – I think he was actually penning one of the bulls up and he's going down. There was a little rail and he didn't see it and he was he was full like full running, hit his head, knocked himself out. We ended up getting the video off the auction people because they had cameras around of him just hitting it and just going back on his back and he just rattled him. But I think I, I think it's happened to me a few times too, and it's not a good feeling. Oh, eh? You yeah, get the old stars, and you're like, you just look up, and then bang, crack. You on don't even head. know what what hit you. You're just like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> and see, that's something physical. Yeah. Then you can have the same thing happen mentally. If you get knocked down, or or you want you do something, and, you, and it doesn't feel right, or you feel like you lost that, lost a very similar emotionally. Like you'd have a physical injury, but mentally, like if you feel the emotion, or you feel negative, or you feel scared, or in fear of something. Head for the lounge chair. Yeah, that's a good point too. Like, um, you, you really, yeah, you really need that strong mentality with everything. And that's one thing I took from a Boron school I went to. Um, it was a Darren Brandenburg Boron school, really, really good instructor. And, and he said the same, sort of like the same thing. He just said, like, if you're feeling down and you go to somewhere and someone goes, How are you going? If you say, Yo, oh, I'm doing shit, it's only going to bring you down. But he said, But if you say, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm, yeah, I'm going good. It's going to lift you up just that little bit more, which then can impact, have an impact, a better impact on everything that you do. A huge one, because whatever you tell yourself is true. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, if yep. you say, hey, I'm not feeling real good and I'm not doing real good, you'll believe that. If you tell yourself, hey, I'm going all right, there's more to learn, I'm getting better at this, that's also true. So you've got a choice there. Go the victim mentality, the, the negative path, or take the positive path, and it's only that positive path that will lead you to where you want to go. But you've also got to feel the negative to know that it exists, to realise that you can walk away from it and step towards the pain, step towards the pain, push through it, then it's no longer there. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And then, like, if you're, you're in a negative situation, take the positives from your negative situation and forget about the negatives and just move forward with the positives that you've, you've done, really. Yeah, I call it the one plus one system where one piece at a time. You learn one little thing today, another little thing tomorrow, 
and it builds your confidence, it builds your, your encyclopedia of knowledge, your experience, and before you know it, you get to where you want to get to and you think, how the hell did I get here? One piece at a time. Yeah, that's right. And you see that even me watching you um, going back to the bullfight and that watching you like in the last probably 12 months, I think you like, you have improved so much when it comes to understanding the animals, being in the spot, getting out there, getting amongst it. And um, and even like now when you – like I watch you a couple hooking and you just get up and you just jump and you're like, yeah, like that was awesome. Like, And that's where it comes back to the ment- ment- mental side of things. Like, uh, like, yeah, it's unreal to watch how how, how much you've grown – over the last 12 months. It's kind of interesting, hey, like, I love getting hooked. I love that wild stuff. That's why you ride bulls. That's why you fight bulls. You don't go there because you don't get hooked. It's action. It's wild. It's living. I don't know, but, yeah, I hate getting hooked. I <laughs> like being on top of them. That was it. And I <laughs> land on my feet. Get out of there. You can cop the hook and I don't want it. I don't want a bar of it. I hate it. <laughs> nah, it's all part of the fun. Because you can, you, you can know what to do. Like, I know what to do in regard to bullfighting, but you go back to that fear piece. It was fear that held me back. So I built my bullfighting game around the word fear, and once that word fear started to slip out, your bullfighting game started to improve rapidly. Still yeah. got a long way to go, but we're getting there. Yeah, that's unreal. So it is brought to you by Lazy Tea Western Wear. That's right. They have a vast range of fishing shirts for fishing, T-shirts for T-shirting, Hoodies for getting down in the hood and caps to fit little heads or big heads and more. That's right. And the festive season is upon us. So head over to www.lazytwestern.com.au. You might find yourself some Christmas goodies. And that brings us into the next part. Let's talk about what's been going on in the last week in the bull riding world. Uh, We went up to Rocky there, um, took some bulls up there. The bulls went... Went pretty good. I was wasn't disappointed in any of them. Um, Feel the ones that that were, they've had a, they had a spell for a bit and they they um they they impressed me. So they they needed that, which was good. Tyler Morgan ended up winning the bull ride in Rocky. Ben Bode, who was on last week's episode, he was second, and um, you were third. Yeah, I was. You got one. You got on, you got on two there too, didn't you? Yeah, I got on my first bull and it fell on me twice and. Um Got on my re-ride ball, nothing too flash, but got him done, eh? Yes, that's good, that's good. Um, And obviously the NFR is on over in um, Las Vegas. Um, Kai Hamilton, he's been killing it. Not just Kai, but... Damien Brennan too. Damien Brennan, he has not bucked off one all-final so far, and um, he's won two rounds now. And they made a bit of history, uh, round four. Kai won the round in the bull riding. Damien Brennan won the round in the saddle bronc riding, which has never been done to Australians um, winning winning the round, basically. And again today. And again today. Round seven, um, uh, Kai won the bull riding and Damien split the win in the saddle bronc riding. And we touched on Kai before um, with his with his injury that he had, but overcome that, which was which is unreal. I think every Australian is just on their feet rooting for him right now, like getting behind him because like, he's a talk of the world right now. Yeah, definitely. Like the mental toughness he has got is um, he's unreal. shown. He's shown. He's shown that how tough, how tough he is. I think that comes from like knowing Kai a bit. Like he um, spent a lot of time with Troy Dunn, and Troy Dunn he talks a lot about mental toughness. And if you haven't got mental toughness, the game's not for you. And uh, I think that just reflects, and it's a perfect example of Kai right there. Is just just spread like. And it's good. He, he come into the final sitting second. Um, he's now he was now number one after the third or fourth round. Um, he's geez, he's about two hundred and something thousand in front. Three rounds to go, so pretty well. There's no one that can catch him. Oh, um, there is, but that yeah. everyone would have to buck off, and them guys would have to win every round nearly to to beat him. But um, yeah. if he comes through with that, he'll be the first Australian ever to win the PRCA World Title. Second Australian ever to win a world title. Troy Dunn was the first. Yeah, um, that's right, yeah. So, yeah, and then um, this weekend's draws. Um, we're going, there's there's a few rodeos on this weekend, actually, pro, down in Victoria. Yeah, pro rodeos on down south. There's the Victorian bull riding um, titles. Um, I haven't really looked at the draws yet, but look at them now. I'm still going to go with... The man that's riding probably the best in um, Australia at the moment. Um, oh, there's two. 
I can't I can't not back back the hometown boy Macaulay Leather Turbulence. He is just absolutely killing it. He um actually they were down at Bull Pit Finals last weekend too. Forgot about that one. Um, he ended up winning that event as well. So the guy's just on a winning streak. Yeah, he won the event and he split the win for the title with his little brother actually. Yeah, his little brother's just coming through Boston, just making a name for himself, um, which is awesome to see. Yeah, for my matchup, I'm going to have to go the brother, Macaulay Leather, on uh, Turbulence. I can't not back him. Yeah. What do you reckon, Johnny? What do you got there? Oh, you'd have to go with Zane Hall there, wouldn't you? He's been riding hot too. Red hot. He came through with me there last week with the stats in the last round of the finals. He rode Indy there the other day. He's pretty good. He's PBR Australian Rookie of the Year this year as well, so... He's been riding red hot. And you got Macaulay Leather there. Good to watch. Oh, yeah. Always good to watch him. And then we they got Myrtleford um, Rodeo on. The Chrissy run for the pro, pros is about to start. Um, I've done the Chrissy run a few years ago, Myrtleford. Um, there's always a good pen of bulls there um, from the gills. And, um, look, I'm going to go with um, Joe Down, Reverend and Mr. Black. Um, you got on that bull at the start of the year, didn't you? I did. I did down in Sydney. Um Look, he's he's the bull used to buck like he was rank. He's he's just gotten to a um, he's getting a bit of, a bit of age on him now, and he, he's um yeah he's becoming a lot nicer to to ride, and they're winning a lot of money on him. So uh, CJ's been getting in the practice pen, so I think he's going to come through and um and take the win there. Yeah, I'm going to have to go with Riley Ede on two two three. Yeah. That's just normal. Riley was actually up this way last weekend riding. Yeah, he um, rides good. He's he from does. down Victoria, yeah. Yeah. Where are you going, Johnny? Mate, we've got, got to go Zane Hall again. Yeah, Zane Hall fan right here. Let's go. Yep. Yeah, you can't miss that out. Yeah, what's he getting on? Grey Ghost. Grey Ghost. Grey Ghost. Okay, I don't know that bull, but yeah. Nah, Zane's, Zane's bloody riding bloody awesome. So, yeah. So that'll lead us into uh, the hotline and um, we'll see what you legends have been up to. So if you don't know about the hotline, Johnny, we've got a call line. People call in. They give us some yarns, tell us what they've been up to and um, let's have a listen. Hi, fellas. How's it going? Down here at Central Lane Bowling on a Thursday night. Absolutely dick We have got work tomorrow. We're here with... Yeah, mate, this is Kane here. We, we rolled in here, Red. I've, I've worked tomorrow, so she's a school night. We've um, played up a bit too much. A bit too much for a school night. Um, but we have some lovely international lasses that would love to call the line. <laughs> My name is Alan. I'm from England. <laughs> and we met these two Australians that made us go bowling. Is that it? Yeah. I'm Gabby. <laughs> met these two Australians and made us go bowling. Also from England. Been a bit of a shit show. They beat us. We didn't beat fuck all. We got lost. We lost hard. All right. See you on Monday, fellas. Pray for us tomorrow, away. Oh, oh, no. Not on the Australian soil. I want to know how that story come around. They've obviously, on the beers, they've met some backpackers, I'm assuming. And I just want to know how how that would have come around. Hey, girls, let's call the hotline. Oh, yeah, unreal. <laughs> but that's not a good start either. England beating Australia. Like, the test match is going to be coming up soon. We're in the cricket season now, so, so, so hopefully the boys can pick their game up in the cricket side of things. Not in the bowling. We're not good at bowling. <laughs> sounds like they're beating us and everything. Oh. But you have to let us know how he's went that night, boys, where that ended up. I think I've learned me lesson with that. I, I make sure I get me fuel on time. 
But yeah, buddy. Yeah, don't leave it to last minute to fuel your car up. You're going to run into coffee problems. Coffee problems? Holy. <laughs> that is a coffee I've never heard. Howdy, fuckers. I've got a joke for you. What's the difference between a joke and three dicks? Your mum can't take a joke. <laughs> Bye. That's a that's, shit joke. That's no, rough. No, oh, no. Do better. That was, that was terrible. Howdy, fuckers. I'm back with this week's joke. What's the best part about finger banging a gypsy while she's on her period? You get your palm red for free. See you, bye. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, I heard that. You've heard it. You said that's bloody. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Literally. No, nah, but that um, winds up the call line for this week. So don't forget, if you want to get in on the call line, get to our Instagram, the Rewrite Podcast. Number is in our bio. Pepper us with some yarns. Show us what you got. We're keen to hear from you. Um, and that goes with all socials, I suppose. Find us on Facebook. Um, give us a leave us a like and follow on the on the podcast platforms if you like what we hear. But Johnny, back to you, mate. Where can if people are like what you do, where can they find you? Instagram. Instagram. Yeah, that's the place. Yep. Do you have a website? Yep. What's the website? Wildadventuresjm.com.au. That's yep. awesome. And what's your Instagram page? Johnny Mitchell Wild Ways. Awesome. Oh, no, sweet as. And you, you post a lot of your content on there for people to watch. And what, what, what do you actually post on your socials for those people that are, that are interested or, you know, want to have a look at what you do? We post content not to get likes. We don't post what people want to see. We post thought-provoking content. It's very interesting. Someone will say, hey, that post you put up, you only got four likes. No one likes it. But that's the content that triggers the individual to step forward to do the program. It's there for those people that want to learn. It's there. You put different content out, it gets people thinking, it challenges their thoughts, their perspective, the way they look at things, and it gets them thinking, gets them moving, and, and that's the right client to come in the door. Yeah, how do they, how do they um, get a program with you? They DM you on, on Instagram, or what's the easiest way for them to contact you? Yeah, having conversation through Instagram DMs. Instagram conversation, that's probably the best way to start. This program that we have is only available to purchase until the end of 2023. December 31 is the cutoff date. So anyone that's super keen to come and learn this wild stuff, yeah, DM through Instagram would be the way to go. That's awesome. Get amongst it because, um, yeah, I watch your stuff on Instagram and it's bloody incredible what you're doing, what you can see. So head over there, head over to his Instagram, have a look, and um, you might find, you know, you can take your hunting to the next level. But thanks, Johnny, for coming on. It was bloody awesome to jump in that into the, in, into what you do and, and learn a little bit more. And hopefully, um, maybe after this, we can have a chat. And you can tell me how to lure fish, and I might be able to catch one over the weekend because I think that's going to be my goal now. Well, you got to teach him to tie a knot too, because um, if he actually does catch something, he's not going to be able to keep it on there. <laughs> no, nah, awesome. Thanks for coming on, Johnny. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate it.